If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. We're at the House of Culture in Salt Lake City for All-Star Game 2023. I'm Charles Beloved, this is Pop Law, and this is your host, Desiree Talley. Welcome to Pop Law Podcast. I'm your host, Desiree, and I'm still not your attorney. Pop Law Podcast is presented to you by Revolt Podcast Network. We're back with a new sound, same show, and all things pop culture and law. I am shooting pop law, this very special episode at the House of Culture, curated by White Room Global in Salt Lake City, Utah. Again, we are here for All-Star Weekend and I am joined by the legendary 1500 or nothing band. What up, y'all? Now you may know them for curating hits for Rihanna, Jay-Z, Beyonce, and they even recently played for Beyonce in Dubai, and also DJ Khaled's Grammy performance of God Did. And if you've been to a party in LA, then you definitely turned up with DJ Bad. Now over there on the bar, we got Charles Beloved. What's up, what's up, Daz? What we doing today? Curator of R&B House Party. Talk about it. We turning up all weekend. (laughs) All right, y'all, now let's get into Papa. I am joined by Mr. Ashley Bell. Ashley Bell is an attorney. He is an investor, entrepreneur, businessman, multifaceted, <laughs> multi-hyphenate. And I am so happy to have you here on Pop Law. This is a very special episode. We are in Black History Month, again, mm-hmm. Salt Lake mm-hmm. City. And we go talk about building Black wealth. Absolutely. You know, it, it, to be in Salt Lake City talking about Black history, uh, it's huge because we come here in a city that's not known for having black people. Yes. <laughs> and I think the population of black people in the city went up a thousand percent since we showed up. So it's good. Okay. <laughs> but there is an incredible amount of history here, a great group of black business leaders. And just be glad to be here to support them, to come with the cavalry and really excite and ignite a new fire for what we both care about, which is creating black jobs, creating black wealth, yes. and supporting black families. Yes. And of course, we're both attorneys, as I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so happy to talk to another attorney who has the mission of black people and building our wealth. And my personal mission and why I became an attorney is because I believe in the advancement, protection, and education of black culture. And we have similar paths. So tell me why you became an attorney. Becoming an attorney was not something I I started out wanting to do. My father uh, was a teacher and an engineer. And honestly, I watched my father in the 90s lose his job because his job went overseas. And he was, uh, he did everything he was supposed to do. Went to HBCU, went out, fought the Vietnam War, came back home, went to a, a Fortune 500 company, working at Johnson & Johnson, lost his job and was a middle-aged man that couldn't find a job. Okay. I watched my dad have to delete degrees off of his resume just to get an interview. And the only place he could go um, find a job was be a jailer at a youth detention center. Now, I don't know about you, but... If any one of us walked out and got a new job where we were only making 10% of what we were making yesterday, you got to make decisions. It was tough. Yeah. So I watched my dad have to start over and I asked my dad, I said, first, what do I have to do to not be 45 having to do this? Yeah. And he said, son, I had to close the plant. I had to lay off a lot of my friends. Mm. If you never want to be in that position, the next time the keys to the door of the business have to be yours. Yeah. You got to own them. And so... He went and became a jailer and worked his way up to warden. 
And although I went to law school, LSU, University of Georgia, I wanted to work with my dad. And so my dad became a father to hundreds of black boys that were in that jail. Mm -hmm. And I shared my dad with the community. These are guys I went to school with. And um, I decided that before I would go do corporate, I would dedicate my life to being a public defender. Mm -hmm. So I went to work with my dad every day representing the young black men and women who were teenagers trying to figure out how to make that one mistake not a lifetime sentence. And so I, I did that, that's what got me in it. And then, you know, after doing three or four years of that, I said, okay, I gotta turn this up a notch because the problem is bigger than these jail cells and how they got here. Everything that happened before they got here is where we really gotta do the work. And that's when I realized the wealth gap, not having what we need before these challenges happen is where I need to focus my energy. And that wealth gap is so important. And I 100% commend you on one, going the criminal law route and being a public defender. Public defenders get a bad rap, but y'all do tremendous Public work. Public defender for kids. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is a regular, you know, for, for high school and middle school kids. You know, it, it's it, public defenders, uh, there's a lot of ones that are, are good and there's, there's some bad ones like anything else. But I think it's about the heart you bring to the job. Yeah. Um, it's about the fact that a lot of my clients, I knew their brothers, I knew their sisters, so I wasn't like just a guy that showed up. We came from the same streets. And that's what mattered. I knew every block that they got arrested on or something happened, I knew that street. Mm-hmm. I knew the teachers. I knew everybody in the community. So when it came time to rally to give them a second chance, that's really why I think I made a difference. Yeah. And now I'm focusing on, we got to go back to that community. And I focus now on creating wealth, closing racial wealth gap through home ownership and other things. Because you go through a community and you realize that nobody there owns the houses the where houses, these kids yeah. live in. When you are renting somebody else's dream, I realized that's where it started because... I realized that credit in our country, the concept of credit is like water. Yeah. Where credit flows, things grow. People have opportunity. Where credit does not grow, go, things don't grow. Yep. You walk down any street in America, I guarantee you see a nice school, nice neighborhood, access to healthcare, all these things, everybody that's got access to credit. Yeah. You go on other streets and you don't see that, that water's not flowing. We gotta reconfigure this system to make sure everybody's got the water they need to live. Yes, and clean water. Yes, absolutely. Shout out to Isaiah Oliver, Flint, because yes. my boys over there are still struggling. Yes, definitely. And so as you were speaking, I was reminded of being in law school and in my criminal law class, and I really excelled. And so one time I was reading a, a case, and it was a family member. Yeah. And I just heard the reactions of the students in the classroom, right. just thinking that he deserved to be in that position. He did do a crime. However, it was because of the access that he didn't have, because of right. the schooling, because his family didn't have a job. And you know, sometimes in our community, we go to other avenues to try to support our family. And it just made me so mad. And I remember getting into an argument with someone in class and they were just talking about, if I'm walking down the street in Harlem at 2 a.m., I'm gonna be scared because it's black people standing outside. And I said, well, any neighborhood you're in at 2 a.m., you, you should be at 2 a.m. exactly <laughs> scared, <laughs> particularly being yeah, a woman, that's right? True. That's and I true. said, black people are more afraid to walk in white neighborhoods than you should ever be in a black community. And there's really no time associated yeah. with that fear. Yes, <laughs> it's at not all. 2 a.m. It could be 2 p.m. If, yeah. if you are, you know, and that's and that's how we see each other is where we we should start. Yeah. Um, every problem that we have in our community, I honestly believe we can fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we should move past this era of asking people for help and begging politicians and begging corporations. We have enough black wealth, black strength, black power to be able to fix every problem we have. And I think it 
we have to have a goal of what I call economic sovereignty. Mm -hmm. uh, economic sovereignty means that we've seen other communities do this. Yep. This means that when I want my kids educated and understanding my history, then I control the schools. Yep. I have my own schools to educate my own kids. And you see this happen in pockets. You see LeBron doing it, you see Oprah doing it. You see pockets of us getting this where we'll say, all right, I need my own school to educate yeah. my kids the way they need to be educated. The second thing is you gotta have your own healthcare system. Mm -hmm. We have other communities that have their own hospitals. We go there. Yeah. We gotta control our own healthcare because the health uh, racial equity issue in healthcare is huge, especially black maternal health. Yes. And then third, we gotta have our own financial institutions. If we don't control the banks and we're going to see headlines, how many times since COVID have we seen a headline that black people are being denied access yeah. to mortgages, even when we have the same credit score uh -huh. as other people, even when we have the same job, sometimes higher. Yeah. We see black people, black couples lose equity in their home because an appraiser came in and got jealous that their house wasn't as big, Absolutely. wasn't nice, didn't like the smell of cooking that was going on in there. And they say, oh, your house is only worth 600,000 instead of 800,000. Yep. That's a system that we can keep asking people to treat us more fairly. But at the end of the day, we have to have an ability to have institutions yeah. that we can invest in yeah. to protect us. And institutions like black banks. So Absolutely. I know we had a bunch of black banks, hundreds, and now we don't have as many uh, present day. So as we're trying to build these banks again, right. why are they important for our community? Look, banking black is about banking your values and not just black people, but anybody in this country who believes that the capitalist system works but doesn't work for everybody, mm -hmm. needs to rethink where they hold their money. Yeah. If you're out here talking about, I've dedicated millions of dollars to the upliftment of black people, and that money that you dedicate is not sitting in a black bank, you need to check your values. Okay. Because black banks are doing the hard work. Yeah. While your money is sitting in some big bank in New York, it could be sitting in a black bank, turning into home loans for black people, mm -hmm. money for our churches, and for our businesses, yeah. all right? So anytime you hear somebody say that, ask them what that money is going to bet. Yeah. Because we know the, the definition of wealth is your money works. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. While you sleep. Yes. So black wealth needs to be, black banks need to be taking that money and creating opportunity for our people. Mm -hmm. My business partner, my sister, who I love dearly, is Dr. Bernice King. Her father um, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And her and I started this journey together to, to address the decline of black banks because when he was assassinated in Memphis, we had over 135 black banks in this country. You and I sit here today with less than 20. Yeah. That's where we are. And it's not because they all bought each other M&A, no. What happens is every time America has an economic downturn, we lose one third of our black banks. Okay. Because black banks struggle because black people struggle. So how do you get past that stigma that some black people have? I don't trust the black banks. I don't want to put my money in a black bank. Hmm. Look, black banks traditionally have survived through the black church, through our aunties and our grandmamas and granddaddies. The new black consumer, rightfully has a different expectation mm -hmm. for where they want their services to be. And they always, you know, sort of feel like if I do business at a black bank, I'm doing less than. That's not necessarily always the case, mm -hmm. but a part of that is if we don't support them, then how are they gonna do any better? Right. If they don't get access to the resources, how can they do better? But I also believe that we have to reimagine what black banking looks like. Mm 
And I think you see that with fintechs emerging. You know, I own a fintech here that has in Salt Lake City that's focusing on mortgages without credit scores. We got our brothers over at Greenwood that are focusing on, on their piece for the culture. But at the end of the day, we have to find a way of making sure that our our businesses deliver the same level of service as everybody else. Being black should not be an excuse for bad service. Let's be real. It just means we got to level up. And that's why, you know, I'm making a big announcement on Tuesday about what I think and Dr. King and I think is black banking 2.0. So can you give us a little bit of an exclusive what this announcement will be? Only because it's you. Only because it's Pop Law, because it's Gary. Uh, You know, this is Black History Month. Yeah. And... What we're going to do on Tuesday is we're going to announce the first time in American history that a group of black investors are actually going to buy a white bank. Come on now. And we're going to buy it right here in Salt Lake City. All right. This is important because a lot of the issues that black banks have is not because of no fault of their own. They're inside of red lines. We all know that redlining happened for decades, meaning that your house is in the red line. As your house got older, the value went down. Yeah. Everybody else outside the red line, their value went up. You can't hold assets to depreciate mm-hmm. and a bank's to survive. So all of these things have compounded what's wrong. But what we're trying to do here is, first off, in the black community, we've seen everybody else come into our community and buy up everything. Yes. We've seen people come by the hair shop, the nail shop. Really, the only thing we have left that we kind of have to do is our hair yeah. and the funeral home. Yeah. Those are the two things that they can't get rid of. But everything else, people have come in. We live in a world now where I believe that black wealth can be exported into other communities and buy other institutions. Mm -hmm. This bank that we're buying here in Salt Lake City is one historic because we're buying it, but also because this is a state, the number one state for banking. We believe that to reach every black person where they go to bed is gonna take a digital bank, but not just a FinTech, but a real bank, a real brick and mortar bank that can export opportunity Mm -hmm. to all over the country. I worked at the Small Business Administration. That's my background. When PPP hit, everybody knows payroll protection program. Everybody got their money up when they, with the PPP checks. Yes. Everybody knows that first tranche. Nobody black got it, just about. Mm-hmm. That's because we didn't have the relationships. Okay. We couldn't call the bank and say, hey, it's me. I need support. I need help. We have to build a bank that you and me as black lawyers, that black business owners watching this, that black school teachers that are watching this, a bank for them. Yes. So we have somebody to call when the next COVID hits and the resources are scarce and we're scrambling trying to beg other banks to give us a call back, right. that is a vulnerable position we do not deserve to be in after everything we've done and been in this country. Yes, We deserve to have our, have our own bank. So the bank that we're creating here, we're renaming, and that bank will be called Redemption for a reason. And I what think. is that reason? With a little bit of grace and a little bit of mercy, mm-hmm. there can always be redemption. That's something we have not had in the financial structures of this country. Des, he preaching right now. I know. We're taking this to church, right, Charles? (laughs) We've had no grace and no mercy every time we've been turned down, and that's been since the day we became free in this country. Freedmen's Bureau, I'm going to take you out there real quick. Freedmen's Bureau, everybody knows what that is. It was the first black bank created by the federal government. It purposefully was created so that free slaves could send their pennies in from sharecropping all across this country in hopes of doing the one thing that had never been done in American history all around the world, taking people that were capital, meaning that we were capital on somebody's balance sheet. We were a asset and telling them that their journey to become a capitalist had to involve being a bank. So going from being capital to becoming capitalists Mm -hmm. had to have banking involved. But the one bank they gave us, they had a rule. 
let them save their money, but it cannot give them a loan. Okay. Now, what is a bank that doesn't give a loan? But that's where we started because they knew that giving us access to credit would give us access to opportunity and it would expedite true freedom and access to this great wealth of the greatest country of wealth in the world, right? Yeah. So we start there and know that we were not given that grace and that mercy from the beginning. And we have to ask ourselves, how many times will we beg and ask mm -hmm. before we just decide to pool the resources, the innovation, the power, the understanding, the love that we have for each other and embody that in the institution for us? Yeah. And that's what redemption is. So we're building these institutions like Redemption Bank. How do you navigate financial literacy? Because yeah, yeah. we can give them the bank, we can give them the place to store their money, to get loans, let them get access to money without the proper credit. Yeah. But if I don't know how to manage that, what do I do? I'm gonna just hit it at the heart of the issue, Desiree. I'll just be real. The credit system in our country is one of the most emblematic systems of institutional racism that we have, all right? I think we can do better. It works for some, but when the average age of the black homeowner in America is 48, the, black, the average age of the first time homeowner that's black in America is 48 years old. Mm. He or she signs a 30 year mortgage. I mean, she won't, or he won't pay that mortgage off till they're 78. Right. But the average black person dies at 75. Right. The numbers in this country don't add up for us. Mm -hmm. We created a company called Ready Life that you can go to readylife.com, look this up, Dr. King and I created it for the purposes of underwriting mortgages without credit scores and just doing it off of cash flow. And I'm not saying anything that's rocket science, but I'm sitting here saying if I'm paying $3,000 a month for rent in Southwest Atlanta or in LA, and I've been paying it for years, right. then why can I not afford a mortgage that's also $3,000 a month? Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying you bank with us, we see that you pay your rent no matter what that price is, then it makes sense that you can pay the exact same price because your rent is actually somebody else's mortgage plus profit. You heard him, Charles? Come on. You hear me, Charles? I'm, I'm hearing you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if you're paying somebody else's mortgage plus profit, then let's take their profit off and give you a chance to own a home because we know you can do it. Now, what tells me more? The fact that you can pay your rent on time or a credit score that's got stuff in it that has nothing to do with you owning a home. Yeah. You with the planet, I ain't gonna say what, I call no company's names out, <laughs> but yeah. You try to get fined after New Year's and go get a gym membership and stop going in April. Right. $10 a month, you forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Now they hit your credit report because you didn't pay the gym membership and you just lost 70 points and can't get a house. What does that have to do with you having a right to have a roof over your head and dignity for your family because you forgot to go pay the gym membership? Or, or the credit card company says, ah, you got 60% utilization on your credit card because of Christmas, so I dropped your usage rate and your credit score down 30 points. Yeah. Nothing to do with the fact that you pay your rent on time, and you deserve to own a home. We are more than our credit score. Absolutely. So we can't just accept the current system as, oh, how do we do financial literacy around it? What I'm saying is we need to understand how the system works, understand how to manage our wealth, but also not be afraid to challenge all existing systems and say, look, for those that it works for, good for you. But we as a people are too smart and too resourced not to create new systems. Yeah. So wealth management, how can we help people learn how to manage their assets. Yeah, there's a lot of, of good brothers and sisters in this space, from John Hope Bryant in Atlanta to uh, one of my board members, Hill Harper, who with blackwallstreet.com does a lot of good, good research and understanding of how to manage money. That part will always be a part of collecting the best information, but it starts with living within our means, 
We got to create a culture where we're investing in things that appreciate, not depreciate. That's where it starts. And we can't be afraid to call each other out on it. We can't just celebrate spending money. When you start celebrate saving money, creating wealth, we need to invest in each other. We've been complaining. We live, we're in Silicon Slopes right now. Yeah. This is where venture capital is coming to have a rebirth. Yeah. But when you had $8.1 billion of private equity money flow just in January in our country and black people got 1% and women only got seven. But every stat shows us that women venture capital companies make 30% more money than men. Yeah. This is what we got to overcome. We got to. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Best in each other. When we can tell our friends that are athletes that, okay, it's cool. Go back home. Start a foundation in your name. Do what you got to do. But realize, when the last time we saw a foundation with more than one basketball player's name on it? A football player. Right. Everybody's solo. Everybody wants to do their own thing. If we just took 10% of the former players that have foundations and said, all right, we all care about education, we could create our own schools all around the country instead of a one school in my hometown and one school in your hometown. We have to. Have this conversation, be real with each other. Brother, I'm so glad. Sister, I'm so glad you went back to your home and did what you had to do. But think about how powerful you could be. Together. If those teammates that you was winning chips with, you could build ships with of opportunity. But who's doing that? And it can't happen unless powerful people like you and all of us that care about this are saying to each other, what we can do together is so awesome. Mm -hmm. We don't need anything but each other. And then we can work with whoever we want. And anybody who's an ally who wants to come in and support this, that's great. But we got to have tough conversations. When you make it, it's bigger than just you. You can put your name on the wall, do all that. But at the end of the day, we can save our kids by creating a system of economic sovereignty by partnering with each other. And what better place to start that than right here at NBA All-Star, where we're pushing out millionaires every season. But everybody's in it individually. So let's have that conversation. So, Ashley, you spoke about togetherness and how powerful we will be working together, particularly all these athletes and all the money that they make and building these schools. Can you talk a little bit about the initiatives that you're working on in sports and making sure athletes maintain wealth? Yeah. You know, sports is it's right where I go when it comes to trying to get them to bring money back to the community through black banks, because I feel like any industry that makes their money primarily off the bodies and talent of black and brown people mm-hmm. has a different burden. Yeah. You can't just come into our community and cultivate all that talent and not give back. And this is something that we're starting to see a little bit better twist on. When you look at the major sports, and I say this all the time, and it's the thing, we can't be afraid to say what we say right here on Pop Law, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and we don't have a Charles to amen us all the time. <laughs> you got, if he's not there, you still got to say it in the boardroom yeah. when, when, yeah. when the crowd is different, right? Mm-hmm. I fundamentally believe that we have to hold major sports accountable. Yeah. If the NBA, NFL, Major League Soccer, all these major sports, if they took, and the collegiate sports as well, if they spent 10% of the time that they spend cultivating our talents in our community with people with balls in their hands, mm-hmm. 
And instead of coming after our best athletes, spent 10% of that time looking for our best minds. If they came into our community looking for who was the smartest, who was the next innovator, who was the next scientist, who was the next entrepreneur, there's 10% of that time, then I think we would have a completely different paradigm shift. So when I'm going to speak to these leagues about supply diversity, and they're like, well, you know, we don't have the right businesses that do the right things and they're not big enough. I'm like, hey, wait, if you had been in that community the same time you're looking for that four-star athlete, <laughs> right. that, that, that five-star uh, football player, and you was asking mom and dad while you sit in that living room, tell me about your community. Yeah. Not just how quick he is, how fast he is, yeah. but did you know his little brother started a business at, at 10? Mm-hmm. How do we help him? Yeah. That investment at that age is what would change everything. So we have to push back. These sports don't exist without our bodies and our talent. Yeah. And so we got to expand the conversation to not just have them show up at the Boys and Girls Club for autograph signing <laughs> and kick some balls. That's right. good. Great. A photo op. But at the end of the day, we can all make money together. We can all make money together. We so can. we create a private equity fund. Uh, my team and I that's going to focus on investing in women and minority owned businesses that want to do work in sports. OK, because the biggest issue is access to capital. Yeah. Everybody's like, I got a good idea, but who's going to invest in me? Yeah. Well, we're working with the owners and operators of major arenas to say, all right, well, that's right. You got a concession shop. You got the best food coming out of, you know, L.A. and you got one location. Well, what if I put you in an arena and I said, you know, the owners of the arena are not going to invest in you. Yeah. Which means that now you got one arena where you got one concessions. But I'm going to take an equity stake in your company, give you cash but I'm also going to put you in 100 arenas over the next two years. So all of a sudden you went from one to 100. We gave you the capital because we're in this together. Yeah. We have to start thinking about venture capital as a way to accelerate our wealth. But a lot of times we don't want to give up anything. Yeah. Because we operate from a position of scarcity. Mm -hmm. You know what scarcity is, Charles? Absolutely. (laughs) Scarcity. You're just scared of giving up anything because you never (laughs) had anything. (laughs) Yeah. You're scared. And because you never had it. But if you always think about your pie and you're like, I don't want to give up any part of my pie. That's fine. That makes sense. Don't do that. But partner with somebody where your pie is 10 times bigger. Yeah. If somebody can grow your pie, then then let's talk about giving something away. But the bottom line is that too many of our businesses, I'm talking to some entrepreneur out there right now who's going to hear this. You got into being an entrepreneur because the people where you worked at before didn't treat you right. Yeah. You felt like. You needed to have your own thing and control your own destiny. Yep. You may have gotten into trouble with the law. Nobody want to hire you, so you have forced to be an entrepreneur. Yep. But the reality is you got to ask yourself, if you want to move to that next level, do you own a job or do you own a business? Mm. They're two different things. He's still preaching, Charles. This is free game right here, <laughs> Free game. This is free game. <laughs> For people that own a job, that means you do just good enough to take the vacation with your family, with your girl, your man, whatever. Do your thing. You got time to take, you know, visit who you want to visit, support some family members. But when it comes time to pass that down to your kids, all the receipts are in the shoebox. Nobody knows really how the, <laughs> bank was, how the business was run. Yeah. You've been operating all cash. All I'm saying is this is the time to change our mindset. Build your business to sell, mm-hmm. even if you don't. If you build it thinking that somebody one day has got to walk in here and know that my blood, my sweat, my tears, my late nights, everything I put into this business needs to be able to be seen on paper. Somebody's got to be able to tell my story if I'm not there to tell it. That's what your books do. Build your business to sell. And if you do that, this is the cornerstone of generational wealth because you cannot pass a job down to your kids, but you can pass down a business. Come on. 
Come on. And we're talking about these businesses and it's reminding me of people are also businesses and brands and athletes now being able to own their name, image, and likeness. That's right. In these sports initiatives that you're doing now, yeah, yeah. two-part question, are you targeting these young collegiate students? And if so, in what ways are you helping them develop to be yeah. able to start that generational Look, wealth early? Name, image, likeness has changed the game. Mm -hmm. I hope we educate these brothers on financial and sisters on financial literacy because yeah. they get paid really early. Um, NBA All-Star. People may not know it, but you got Southern and Graham that are going to play each other uh, Saturday before the game. And these are two HBCUs that get a lot of hype in Louisiana for the Bayou Classic. Yeah. to come here to Salt Lake City to put on a show. People are going to be entertained. I'm so glad the NBA is doing that. But I said to myself, okay, nobody can name one player on this on either right. team. This is a huge platform for these brothers. So my company, Ready Life, that's doing the credit scoreless mortgages with Dr. Bernice King, gave two NIL deals to players on both teams so that they can be tied into not just this great stage, but we want to be a company that's like, look, I want you to do more than just, you know, put on my jersey and say this, these clothes are fresh or come eat at this spot. I'm hiring you for NIL deal because I want you to tell people who watch you on your Instagram feed the importance of owning a home because I know that many of them don't believe that's something they can do until they're 30 or 40. Yeah. But tell them it's possible now. Tell them to start thinking that way now, that there's new institutions and new systems out there that they can take advantage of. So we hire them because we want them to have a platform, but they also could be evangelists for something better than what we have. Yes. And we think that is why NIL is important. So if you're a black business out there, you need to be reaching out to these brothers and sisters because if you are especially in the work of impact, if they don't get it, if the next generation of influencers don't sign up and all they're doing is being influencers for somebody else's dreams and not our mission, not our agenda is a betterment of our people. Right. Then we won't get where we got to go. Well, you are definitely inspiring me. And so when I first started my legal career, I was going to go the sports route as well. I did a really extensive research paper on exposing the NCAA. Wow. And um, my tax professor, who was also our nonprofit investor, right. uh, excuse me, professor, told me, Desiree, stop. I'm fearful for your life. You should not put this out. She didn't publish it. So I scaled back, working in scarcity, as you said. Yeah. I'm definitely invigorated to join that mission again. Well, it's it, very important. It's, it's important, but I don't think we should be scared. The system, we know how the system works. Yeah. My whole thing is, I want us to make money. And they can make, they is everybody who's not making, make, making money with us now, they also can make money with us. Let's make money together. Yeah. I'm not saying it's an either or proposition, because I know for a fact that even though I'm creating a system where credit scoreless mortgages will benefit people that look like us, but there's a lot of white people out here. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows 
from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. They also got bad credit. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's not act like this is a us problem. Uh-huh. We are creating institutions because we feel it the hardest, but it's going to benefit everybody. Every race of person can go to ReadyLife.com, sign up with us and get on the road to owning a home. It's important for everybody, but it's good for the world to see that black people are inventing these new systems and they can join them. They can benefit off of them. We have to show our kids that we don't have to just copy what everybody else is doing and get paid to amplify other people's ideas. Yeah. We got our own ideas. And we go own it. And that's why I tell y'all, have an attorney, read your contract. We go make sure that you stray. So we're building these institutions. We are providing these platforms and we go circle our black dollar in our communities first. That's right. That's right. All right. So where can they look out for a redemption bank ready? Yeah. Life? So, you know, obviously I love to interact with folks on social media yeah. to Ashley D. Bell on IG, uh, Twitter, and otherwise. Um, but Redemption Bank, RedemptionHolding.com is where we're going to launch our site. ReadyLife.com. You know, this is about us sharing the word with all the people who need to hear it. Yeah. So if you got somebody out there who's like, I really want to own a home. I thought I'd be renting forever. Uh, they don't have to. There's better options. And this is all about us collaborating. That collaboration, we got everything we got. Yeah. We got everything we need to have to get everything done we need to get done. So before we get out of here, because you inspired us all, I need to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. All right, yeah, so we get some water. All right, go ahead. Go shoot. Caramel or caramel? Whoa. I'm from the South. It's caramel. <laughs> what is it, Charles? It's definitely caramel. <laughs> Where you from, Charles? Where you from? I'm from Chicago. Exactly. So, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, in the South, we got a different, we treat vowels differently. Hot or cold? Cold. Okay. Now, because you are also a producer, Love Jones or Brown Sugar? Oh, Love Jones all day. The soundtrack alone. I mean, that's, that's yeah. no brainer. I yeah, mean, the soundtrack is what rides. So, yeah, absolutely. And what is your go-to hype song? When you need to turn it up, you about to have a speaking engagement, what is it? Um, it's, it's gonna be, I put on for Y'all my city every time. That? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> every time, every <laughs> time. DJ bad. Jeezy, all day, I mean. All right, so it is the 50th year of hip hop. Yeah, yeah. Who is your top five rappers, dead or alive? Wow. Oh, See, wow. that's I'm gonna just start drama with this answer, but yeah. it's all good. You gotta answer it. Um, We've been authentic on this yeah, show. Yeah, okay, I got you. Um, you know, I honestly think um, I'm gonna have to go number one. This is regionally biased, but I'm, I'm gonna go with three thousand. Um, I believe in 3000. I think that, you know, he, he hit on things in a different way and, and opened my eyes as a college kid. Uh, Nas, I'm going to put up two. Uh, Pac, three. Rakim, four. And maybe five would be... Uh, All right now. Oh, oh you're missing one. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. Can we, can we still say Yeezy's name? I don't know. No, I'm saying, I was gonna say, I'm just joking. That was a Chicago joke. That was a Chicago joke. I mean, <laughs> the music so, speaks for itself. It does. It does. It does. Um, yeah, I, that fifth one's gonna be hard. I don't know. I gotta. I wanna. I wanna keep it. Keep it real. But I, I think it's gonna have to be. Uh, 
It's Yeezy. You could say it. I can say Yeezy. You can okay. say Yeezy. Meth or Yeezy, right. A, B. Yeah. Okay. Did, did we hear Jay-Z? I, that's, that's who I was waiting on, not even the Chicago yo, women. Uh, yeah, look, Jay-Z's the man, but I'm, I'm a little regionally biased. I didn't have room for him. You I know, know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not <laughs> mad at the list. You put 3,000 as number one, so I, I ain't mad at you. No, I wasn't mad at All right, and since we are here for All-Star Weekend, Team LeBron or Team Giannis? You know, I think Giannis is a good brother. He's incredibly talented. He would probably go off. But um, for the culture, we need LeBron to win this. He's, I, I think at the end of the day, I also go what you do on the court, but what you do off the court. All right, there you have it. I'm going for Team LeBron also, only because it's representing the West. But y'all know Warriors is my team, so. Whoa, all right. What? Come on, Steph, what you mean? <laughs> all right, that's what's up. Thank you so much for watching Popwell Podcast. I'm your host, Desiree. Be sure to tune into Popwell on all social media channels and www.popwellpodcast.com. I'm here with Charles. Thank you so much, Ashley. This was paradigm shifting information. Des, right. this was crazy. Go ahead. Crazy Ashley Bell. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. And of course, 1500 or nothing. <laughs>